back with me. Where? Back to the future. Wait a minute. What are you doing, Doc? I need fuel. Go ahead. Quick, get in the car. No, 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 no. Doc, I just got here, okay? Jennifer's here. We're going to take the new truck for a spin. Well, bring it along. This concerns her, too. Wait a minute, Doc. Well, what are you talking about? What happens to us in the future? Both you and Jennifer turn out fine. It's your kids, Marty. Something has got to be done about your kids. Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going. We don't need roads. Well, good morning. morning. How many of y'all loved that movie as much as I did? Okay, now I'm about to date most of us this morning. Do you realize that movie came out in the summer of 1985? Yeah, I was getting ready to be a senior in high school. Um, So they just had their 25-year anniversary a couple of years ago. And I don't know, and I'm really going to date some of us. I don't know if you remember in that scene right there, right before they took off, and they remember they were going to go from 85 to the future, 30 years ahead. And this was the date on the car um, that they had right there, October 21st, 2015. We're just a couple of years away from the date they went to. So those flying DeLoreans will be hitting the lots any time now. You guys be watching out for those. But that's a great movie. Some of y'all in here, teenagers and 20s, uh, you know, something like that. You're like, what was that? And what were they wearing? But uh, that was a great movie. And as we continue our study through the book of Mark today, if you haven't already, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 13. It's on page 411. If you may be using one of the Bibles you picked up when you came in this morning, Mark chapter 13 is going to take us back 2,000 years in the past to some really interesting words that Jesus said to his disciples. 2,000 years ago, he said these, but he talked about future events, some things that we're seeing happen before our very eyes today. And that's why I've titled this Back to the Future as we study Mark chapter 13. And if you remember, there was a trilogy of Back to the Future movies. And so to keep pace with that, we're going to have a trilogy of messages, believe it or not, in Mark chapter 13. We've been kind of moving along pretty quick, about a chapter a week. But we're going we're gonna to slow down uh, for the next three weeks. And we're going to do three messages all in the, in the uh, book of Mark chapter 13 because there's so much stuff here and it's so exciting and I know you guys are going to want to not rush through this I don't want to rush through it but here's the good news if you remember back to the future movie one and two they were awesome back to the future three was horrible remember no don't don't waste your time watching that one but I promise you the third message in this series will be much better than the third movie okay so we're going to do a trilogy now in this study if you're a guest we've been going through the gospel of Mark we started in chapter 1 verse 1 we've been working our way all the way through that's predominantly how we study the Bible here at the Orchard Church verse by verse 
And we've been in this series, we've called it WDJD, What Did Jesus Do? And so far we've mainly followed Jesus' life and there hasn't been a lot of teaching. It's mainly just been watching the things he's done and how he's interacted with the religious leaders and his disciples. But in Mark chapter 13, things change and it's more uh, teaching than what Jesus did. It's more about what he taught and it's about future events. And this is a very juicy part of the book of Mark. It's got a lot of prophecy. We love that stuff. If you like prophecy, say yes. We love to know what's going to happen in the future, things that might happen in our very lifetime. We love to know what's going going on. And you know, the Bible talks a lot about the future and future events. All the way from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible talks about future things to come, things like the rapture of the church, what we believe to be the next prophetic event on God's time calendar. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Things like the return of Christ, the literal second coming of Christ where he will come to this earth and he'll rule and reign for a thousand years during the millennium. It talks a lot about the end of the world. You know, people always want to know, is the, is the world going to end and how is it going to end? And the Bible talks a lot about those things. One in every 30 verses in the Bible mentions Christ's second coming, his return, or the end of the world. So that should tell us that God wants us to know about these things and to study them and pay attention to them. There are over 300 references in the New Testament alone about future events and the second coming of Christ. All but four of the New Testament books talk about the return of Christ. That's 20% of our New Testament. So can we agree this is a pretty important subject, amen? Very important. I mean, this Bible, the book, this book, the Bible, is, is a book of prophecies, What is a prophecy? It's something that God says this is going to happen and he'll say it 10, 50 years, 100 years, some things almost up to 1,000 years before they're going to take place. He predicts them and then they come true, just like he said. And there are over 10,000 prophecies in the Bible about future events. And you know how many of those have come true so far? All of them that are supposed to have come true to this point, have come true. The Bible has never been wrong one time. That is why this book takes center stage every week here in our church. There is no other book like this book. There is no other God like our God that we can trust to find truth. But we want to make sure, as we we park a little bit for the next three weeks on these really incredible and exciting and interesting uh, prophecies, that we always want to make sure the prophetical also gets into the practical of our life. Amen? We don't want to just study these things just so we can know what's going to happen in the future, but what we should do about them today in our lives and and how we should respond to them. I love this verse in 1 Chronicles 12, 32. We'll put it on the screen. It says this, the sons of Issachar had understanding of the times so that they would know what Israel ought to do. You know, we should study these prophecies and know what's coming so we would know what we ought to do. And just like we are interested in future events, the disciples with Jesus were also interested in future events too. And that's what brings us to Mark chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. Because the disciples, Jesus makes an incredible statement that blows the disciples away. And they then begin to ask Jesus, okay, when is the second coming going to happen? When are you going to bring in your literal kingdom? When is the end of the world going to be? When, when, is all these, when are all these things going to take place? And they ask that question, and then Jesus spends the rest of Mark 13 teaching them and us about these incredible future events. So are you ready? Are you excited? This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. Mark chapter 13, verse 1. Then as Jesus went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, 
Jesus, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. He's like, look at this incredible temple, Jesus. It's amazing. I mean, these disciples here sound like hicks that just came out in out of you know, the country. Wow, look at these buildings. Look at this temple. It's amazing. And Jesus answered and said to him, and he blows him away with this, do you see these great buildings, this temple? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. I mean, the disciples had just commented on how amazing and beautiful and magnificent the incredible temple was, Herod's temple. And then Jesus turns right around and he says, I got news for you. What you see standing here right now in the future is going to be completely torn down. Not one stone will be on top of another stone. Now let me give you just a little quick background about the Jewish temple that Jesus was talking about. We know the first temple was built by King Solomon. Solomon uh, began the first temple. It was built in 953 B.C. It was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. when the Jewish people were taken into Babylonian captivity. And then a little later, God allowed them to rebuild their temple. And there was a man named Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel built the second temple in 517 B.C. after the Babylonian captivity. But it was a real low-budget project. They didn't have much money. They didn't have much resources. So it was a very small, meager little temple, the second temple. Herod came on the scene, King Herod. And in 20 B.C., he began a massive expansion on that small little Zerubbabel's temple. It took him 44 years. It was completed in 64 A.D., and it was called Herod's Temple, the most magnificent temple that we read about in history and in Scripture. And that was the very temple that Jesus was talking about with his disciples, this expansion of Herod's Temple. We have a picture, I believe. Uh, this is a, a model rendition of this temple that Herod built, this magnificent temple that took 44 years to build. It was made out of white marble stone, and he overlaid the stone, this is significant, with gold and silver. Silver. It was five, the Temple Mount was 500 yards by 400 yards. I mean, that's like five football fields by four football fields. It was huge. And as pilgrims would come and people would come to Jerusalem and they would see the temple with the gold and silver all over this marble stone, it really was like the first Emerald City. As it would shine in the sun, it was magnificent, it was glorious, it was, it was incredible. And yet Jesus standing there, his disciples are marveling at Herod's temple. And Jesus says, I'm just, I got some news for you, this thing's going to be destroyed. It's going to be torn down and he makes this prophecy, this prediction. Now they were probably like, yeah right, who's going to tear this down? What, what, when's this going to happen? Well about 40 years after Jesus' prophecy of this, it was torn down just exactly like Jesus said. The Romans in 70 AD, the Bible tells us, history tells us that Romans came in in 70 AD. And you know what they did? They absolutely destroyed that Jewish temple, Herod's temple. Completely tore down. I mean, and Jesus made that prediction and 40 years later it came true just like he said. I mean, this would be like somebody before the, the World Trade Center came down. Somebody saying, you see those two magnificent towers? They're going to come down. People are like, yeah, right. That's what Jesus was saying here, and Jesus blows the disciples away. But notice what Jesus said. He didn't just say it would be destroyed or it'd be torn down. He said in verse 2, not one stone would be left upon another. 
And in 70 AD, when the Romans destroyed it, this prophecy was fulfilled. But listen to the detail it was fulfilled, how Jesus said. Because of the gold and silver that was over all the stones, the temple was actually burned down. History tells us there was an archer with a flaming arrow. He shot it, and it, it caught the temple on fire, and it burned down. Guess what happened to the gold and silver? It melted all down into the crevices and cracks of all of the temple. And so they wanted to, after that you know, smoldering stopped and it cooled down, the Romans went in and they dug through stone by stone, digging out all the precious metals, the gold and silver, just like Jesus said. They went through stone by stone by stone of that very temple. Here's a picture today. If you go, I had the privilege a couple of years ago to go to Israel, and these are some of the very stones of the original temple, and they're still laying around the wall, and you can see where they've carved through and they've picked through stone after stone trying to find this precious metal. But here's the deal, y'all. Just as the prophecy of Jesus was literally fulfilled with the temple being destroyed in 70 AD, just like that came true, we can fully trust the rest of chapter 13 to be fulfilled that has yet to be fulfilled. If you believe that, say yes. Just like that happened, everything else he's going to tell us in here is also going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen in our future. The Bible has never been wrong. Now, here's the deal. When Jesus told the disciples this, the disciples wondered, well, when in the future is this temple going to be destroyed? Because here's what they thought. They, they thought that when the temple would be destroyed would probably be when Jesus the Messiah would come back and establish his new temple and his new reign in the millennium. They kind of tied those two together and they thought, well, I'm sure that's going to happen at the same time. But they were incorrect. There's a big time gap in between. But notice what happens in verse 3. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite this temple, Peter, James, and John answered him or asked him privately, tell us when will these things be, the destruction of the temple? They're thinking probably of the second coming. And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And again, they were probably thinking whenever this temple is going to be destroyed is probably when the end of the world is going to begin to happen and the second coming of Christ and the millennium and all that. But they missed the time gap which we are living in today which is called the church age now to answer their question jesus is going to use the remainder of chapter 13 to answer their question of what is the sign of the literal physical second coming of christ when is it going to happen when is it going to take place and he's going to explain these future events and we can divide this chapter into three time periods that all occur around what the bible calls the tribulation if you've ever heard of the tribulation say yes Okay, it's a seven-year period specifically talked about in the Bible, prophesied, that is yet to take place. We're going to really get into that next week. But we're going to look in Mark chapter 13 at what happens before the tribulation. That's what we're living in now. During the tribulation, we'll look at next week. And then the third week, we'll look at what happens immediately after the seven years of tribulation. Now, we don't have time to go into all of this because we did a lot of this when we went through the book of Revelation. But we want to throw this on the screen. This is kind of a tribulation events uh, timeline. And, and just kind of give, give you your bearings. We are living in right now over here on the far left, the church age. And we are waiting. The next prophetic event that we're waiting for as a church is the rapture of the church. Well, Jesus Christ will come in the air. Now, here's the thing you got to be careful with. 
When people talk about the second coming of Christ, I always ask them, are you talking about the rapture of the church? Or are you talking about the literal second coming of Christ when he physically comes to the earth? Because those are two separate events. Yes? Those, you see that in the Bible. The first time Jesus comes, the next time he's coming back, he's actually not physically going to come to this earth. We're going to, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to be caught up, raptured, to meet him where, church? In the, in the air. So some kind of call that the second coming, but it's not really the full second coming. Then we believe right after the rapture of the church, which is the next prophetic event we're waiting for, that could happen at any moment. I don't believe, personally, I know there are people who believe something different. That's okay. I don't believe there's anything yet to happen before that event can take place. It could happen today. Would that be cool? Maybe after the Broncos game tonight and they win. Okay. <laughs> hey, I'm human, Okay. But, but it can happen at any moment. And we believe that the scripture teaches throughout that once the rapture of the church takes place, it immediately begins a period called the seven years of tribulation on this earth where the Antichrist will come on the scene. We'll get into all that in, in some pretty interesting detail that will blow your mind next week. There will be seven years of tribulation. Then at the end of that seven-year tribulation period, and that's all the stuff you read about in Revelation we studied a couple years ago, at the end of that seven years of tribulation, guess what happens? The literal, physical second coming of Jesus Christ, where he will come, he will set foot on the Mount of Olives, he will rule and reign and make things the way they were supposed to be before sin for a thousand year millennial period of time. That's just a real quick snapshot of the end times that we're waiting for. And Jesus is going to go into detail about these things from before the tribulation, during and after. Are you all with me? Today we're just going to look at what Jesus says is going to happen leading right up to the rapture of the church and the second coming. Now, now here's, here's uh, this, these are the reasons why I don't want to rush through this. When I'm talking about the rapture of the church, I'll say the rapture of the church. When I'm talking, when I'm talking about the second coming, I'm talking about the literal second coming at the end of the tribulation. Is everybody with me? Say yes. Because those are two distinct events that need to be separated to get the context of this. Because a lot of people come to this and they get confused about where the rapture is and where the second coming is. And, and, and most everything that Jesus is going to talk about in chapter 13, because he's talking to his disciples who were Jews, asking a Jewish question, they didn't even understand the church yet. They didn't even know there was a church or church age. They, they didn't understand that. But they knew everything about the second coming. The Old Testament talked about it. So most everything Jesus is going to say here has to do with the seven years of tribulation and the second coming. Now, if you think we're getting close to the second coming, guess what? Back up seven years and we're that much closer to the rapture of the church. Are you with me? So let's look at what Jesus says that happens before the tribulation. That's as far as we're going to go today, before the tribulation. This is what uh, scholars have called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus gives this teaching from the Mount of Olives. You can also read about it in Luke chapter 21. Matthew chapter 24 also records it. But we're going to, of course, study Mark because that's where we're at. Jesus begins to teach them about the end of the world, the second coming, future events, and what to look for, how to know when it's about to happen. And he says in verse 5, and Jesus answered them, their question about the end times, began to say, take heed, pay attention, that no one, what, deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, I'm the Christ, and he'll deceive many. 
But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. So Jesus says a couple of things here to his disciples in these verses. The first one is don't be deceived. You want to know when I'm coming back, my second coming, when I'm going to bring in my kingdom? Don't be deceived by imposters, people claiming to be me that aren't me. And I'm going to tell you how you'll know. Now, there have been hundreds of people since Jesus left 2,000 years ago claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be Jesus. We call them false prophets, false Christ. You can recognize some of these in our lifetime. We've got their pictures we'll put on the screen. Reverend Sun Moon, you ever heard of him? He's still alive. He's believed by members of the Unification Church to be the Messiah and the second coming of Christ. He's the one on the far left over here. He's still alive today. Another one, remember this crazy guy, Jim Jones? Lived from 1931 to 1978. He claimed to be the reincarnation of Jesus. He organized a mass murder-suicide at Jonestown, Guyana on November 18, 1978, where all the people drank the Kool-Aid that was poisoned. And that was Jim Jones claiming to be uh, the Messiah, the second coming of Christ. And then some of y'all remember David Koresh. That's his picture over here on, on the far right. I don't know if that's David Koresh or Weird Al Yankovic, but uh, you might confuse there. But David Koresh uh, was a Branch Davidian religious uh, sect leader. I call him the Waco from Waco, Waco, Texas. He proclaimed that he was the final prophet and the son of God. And in 1993, a raid by the FBI ended with the Branch Davidian uh, ranch burning to the ground. Koresh, 54 adults, 21 children were found dead. All false prophets, false Christs. And Jesus said, watch out for them because they're going to come along and there'll probably be others before Jesus shows up. We know the ultimate false Christ is going to be the Antichrist. And we'll talk about him next week. Jesus is going to tell the disciples, though, what to exactly to look for in the future so they're not deceived. Now, this is where people get confused. Verse 7 and 8, when it says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Do not be troubled because the end is not yet. Nation will not rise against nation. There will be earthquakes and famines. And people see these things take place. And every time there's an earthquake, oh, Jesus is coming. Every time there's a, there's a, uh, a rumor of war, Jesus is coming. Every time there's a big famine, oh, get your rapture shoes ready, which you won't need anyway. We'll probably go naked. I don't know how it's going to be, but anyway, <laughs> I just made that up. I've always wondered that. Will we have clothes or not? I don't know. But this is where people get confused in verse 7 and 8. They see these things happen, and they immediately think the rapture is about to happen. They think that these things, now, now hang with me, because some of you all get confused if you're not hanging with me. Jesus is letting his disciples know that any of these events in and of themselves are not the sign. He says, these are, the end is not yet. Don't be deceived. Verse 7, the end is not yet. Verse 8, he says, these events are the beginning of sorrows. They're not the sign. Jesus is telling us that these are not the sign, but they do lead up to his second coming. So if these things aren't the sign, the, I mean, there is a sign. There is a particular event the Bible has talked about for a long time that when you see that happen, you can count, listen, church, you can count to the very day of the literal second coming of Christ. 
Now, we don't know when that event is going to happen. That's why right now, no man knows the day or the hour. But when that event happens, the sign, the event, the Bible, you'll see it next week, is to the very day specific. Not about the rapture, but about the second coming of Christ. That's how I baited you all last week. Now, now what you want to know is, okay, what is the sign? What is the sign that when the world sees this event happen, you can count to the very day when Jesus will literally physically return? Well, that's my hook for next week. Because next week, we will get into the sign. But we got some pretty cool stuff for today before we get to the sign, which is next week. Because Jesus does give us, even though right now today he hasn't given us the sign yet, he's going to give us a big clue that we are getting closer and closer and closer to the return of Christ and even closer than that to the rapture of the church, which I believe will take place seven years before the second coming. Notice what Jesus says in these words in verse 8. These events, these wars and rumors of wars and famines and troubles and things like that, they are the beginning of what, church? Sorrows. The beginning of sorrows is how he describes it. This word sorrows in the original Greek language is the Greek word odin. Odin means this, labor pains. This is the beginning of labor pains. Men, this is not when you have to mow the yard or take out the trash. Those are not labor pains. Not when you have to get up and go to work. Ladies, do you understand labor pains? Say yes. Yes. Just go ahead and hit your husband right now for those labor pay. Just, just do what you need to do. But Jesus gives us an incredible description and picture when you plug this in to what he's saying that really helps us today know how close we might be getting to the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ and the end times. Because he says these events, wars, rumors of wars, famines, They are going to be like labor pains. You get the picture. I got the picture of labor pains when my two children were born. I didn't experience them them firsthand, but I got the picture. I had the privilege of being there for both births of Caleb and Caitlin. But they were quite different. When Caleb was born, our our first child, our our son Caleb, and he's about to be 17. And uh, when I was in the room there, uh, Shelly decided to have the epidural. You know, she realized they don't give any trophies if you don't have it. So she's like, I'm, I'm in. So she got the epidural. And once she got the epidural, I mean, she was just starting to get into some intense labor pains. And they gave her the epidural. And then she's joking. We're having a good time. We're having, I mean, she's just so relaxed. I mean, really right up until Caleb was born. I mean, it was a really, for the most part, a, a, a pleasurable experience. For the most part, okay? Things went really well. Now, when Caitlin was born, our second child, she's about to be uh, 15, um, Shelly wanted to wait because we, you know, as first parents, you know, we like went to the hospital like 20 times thinking this is the labor pains that the baby's coming. Like, no, not yet. You send you back home. So we were like, we're not doing that with Caitlin. So we waited and we waited and we waited till Shelly was in full bore labor and we went into the hospital and she's like, I'm ready for the epidural. And they're like, honey, we're sorry. You've waited too long. Yeah. All the ladies are like, oh, she couldn't get an epidural. Something in my brain did not make the connection that this would be different. Yeah. I'm on the phone. I'm on my cell phone. 
And I'm giving the play-by-play to people in our church and family that couldn't be there. Yeah, yeah, she's doing great. Yeah, that's getting really intense. Yeah, she's like at a nine. And I'm, I'm, I'm all excited. I feel this hand come out of nowhere. Nails dig an inch under my skin. About rips my arm off. I look at my wife, and it's not my wife. I don't know who it was. It was some kind of transfiguration that took place. Get off the phone! Yeah, I gotta go. I understood a little better true labor pains. But here's the deal. With labor pains, you know when the baby is about to arrive, not just because you have one little pain and then, you know, 20 minutes goes by and then another little pain, but when the labor pains become very frequent and very intense. And the more frequent they are and the more intense they are, the closer you are to the baby arriving. Do you now get the picture Jesus is painting? It's not, I mean, there, for the last 2,000 years, there have been earthquakes. There have been a war here and there. There have been troubles. There have been famines. But when we see a drastic increase in the intensity and frequency of these events, like labor pains, that ought to get our attention. These types of events have always been with us, but when they're intense and they're frequent, we're getting closer, not to the baby arriving, but to Jesus, the Messiah, arriving. And we remember the rapture is going to happen first. And Jesus is describing these events as you get closer to the second coming of Christ. Back up seven years, we're that much closer to the rapture. Now here's the big question then, to make this practical. Have we seen any evidence of these events getting more frequent and intense in our lifetime? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you some examples. Jesus said there would be wars and rumors of wars, and they would be more frequent and intense, and nation would rise against nation. Do you realize after Jesus said that, we went some 1,900 years and there was no world wars. There was skirmishes here and there. But in 1914 to 1924, these very words of Jesus began to be fulfilled and take place. July 28, 1914, World War I began. A worldwide war. 1939, World War II began. And there have been many other wars since then. It seems like you can't turn on the TV that somebody's not wanting to fight somebody. And that there's a war here and there's a war there and there's troops here and there. And they began to be more frequent and increase intensity just in the last hundred years. Famines. Jesus said there would be famines. After World War I, there was the world's greatest famine. Hundreds of millions of people died in Russia and China alone. There was a recent study done by, on world hunger. They said in 1995, they believed there were 800 million people in the world who were going to bed hungry and were starving. Bring it up now to 2012, there are over one billion people, one in seven people in the world tonight that will go to bed hungry, malnutrition, without food. That's one of the reasons why we're starting feeding centers around the world, amen? But Jesus predicted these things, and it's getting more intense and more frequent. What about earthquakes? There have always been earthquakes, but listen to this, the world's deadliest earthquakes began happening in 1920. 1920 in China and 1923 in Japan, 340,000 people died in those two earthquakes alone. The United Nations recently did a study on earthquakes in 1926 to 1950. In 24 year period of time, 350,000 people died in an earthquake. You remember these very well. As talk about the intensity, uh, you know, growing. December 26th, 2004. 
9.0 Indonesia earthquake that caused the tsunami. 270,000 people lost their lives in that one earthquake. January 12, 2010, 7.0 earthquake hit Haiti. 316,000 people died in a moment. Just this last week, there was a 7.6 earthquake in Costa Rica. It seems like they're so frequent now, we go, oh, another earthquake, another earthquake. They say, the United Nations says now, there are 10,000 people a year that die from earthquakes. Jesus lets us know that the intensity and the frequency of these events are the birth pains that will lead up to his return. And we see them all around us. But he says, don't be deceived by imposters Or that any single event means he's come back yet because the sign is coming in the future, but these lead up to it. And not only did Jesus talk about future events, but you can go back several hundred years before Jesus to a man named Daniel. Remember the story, Daniel in the lion's den? That Daniel. And Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, Daniel was praying and he was talking about the end times. And listen to what he said. He got this prophecy, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book of prophecy until the time of the end. The end times that I believe we're living in. And he says in the end times, here's one way you'll know it's the end times. Many will run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Interesting. Daniel got a prophecy like 2,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago, probably close to, that at the end times before the return of Christ, knowledge would increase and people would run to and fro. Now when he used this phrase, many shall run to and fro, What he was saying here was there would be a vast increase in the speed and frequency of how people travel. In 1680, Sir Isaac Newton, you learned about him in school, who was a Christian scientist. He he read this verse in Daniel in 1680 and he said these words. Personally, I cannot help but believe these words by Daniel refer to the end times. This was in 1680. Men, I believe, will travel from country to country in an unprecedented manner. There may be some inventions that will enable people to travel much more frequently and quickly than they do now. That speed might even exceed 40 miles per hour. (laughs) Now, if you think that's funny, listen to what atheist, French atheist Voltaire said 80 years later about these comments from Sir Isaac Newton after reading what Sir Isaac Newton said. He said this in the early 1700s. See what a fool Christianity makes of an otherwise brilliant man. Here is a scientist like Newton who actually writes that man might travel at speeds of 30 to 40 miles per hour based on a Bible verse in Daniel. Has he forgotten if man travels at this rate of speed, he would be suffocated and his heart would stand still. I've had the privilege of traveling all around the world to visit missionaries and, and, and foreign fields. Uh, I've traveled to the Philippines several times. It's probably the furthest. 15,000 miles, 600 miles an hour. I'm glad my heart was okay. But do you see? It's happening just as Daniel said it would in the end times, in the last days. What to some men once was ridiculous and crazy, we're experiencing June 13th, 1965, astronaut Ed White stepped out of his spacecraft 100 miles above our Earth, took a casual spacewalk across the United States that took him 15 minutes at the speed of 17,500 miles per hour. Daniel also said in the last days, knowledge 
information would increase in the last days. That's an indicator we're living in the close return of Christ. Well, are we seeing that? We all know. We're living in what's called the information age. It has been said that if you take all the information that man has accumulated from the beginning of time until 1845, it would equal one inch on a graph if you were to graph it out. If you go from 1845 to 1945, in just 100 years, it would be three inches or it would triple the information and knowledge in those 100 years. If you were to graph what information and knowledge we have gained since 1945 to the present, it would be 6,600 inches on a graph or the height of the Washington Monument. And the Bible said this would happen in the last days. I mean, we know the explosion of knowledge on the internet, our access to this knowledge and information. December 1995, there were 16 million users worldwide on the internet. December 2,361 million. 2012, there are 2.6 billion people in the world on the internet with instant access to any knowledge and information that they could possibly want. Internet traffic doubles every three months. There was one internet site in 1990. There were 105 million sites. There are 105 million sites today. 11,000 websites are added every day. And now we have instant access to all this information with our iPhones and our iPads and our HTCs and maybe the iPhone 5 next week. We'll see. But here's the deal, y'all. I mean, this should excite you as a believer. This should excite you as a Christian, amen? Now, sometimes we talk about this stuff and people go, oh, that scares me. That freaks me out. If you know Jesus, you need to be excited about this stuff. You know why he's coming back first? To get us. To take us to heaven. To enjoy everything this Bible has promised. And then he's going to come back to get the ultimate glory, his rule and reign that he deserves that he didn't get the first time. Daniel's prophecy said these things would happen in the last days. Jesus' prophecy said these things would happen. But, they, but he said, don't be deceived. I haven't come back yet. The sign, which we'll learn next week, hasn't happened, but it's getting closer. The stage is set. First, Jesus says, don't be deceived, leading up to the tribulation. Don't be deceived. And then he says, and we'll, we'll quickly end with this, don't be discouraged. Look at verse 9 through 13. While you're waiting for him to return, whatever you're going through, don't be discouraged. He says, but watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my name's sake, for a testimony to them. Now, he's talking here specifically to who? The disciples. We know that history tells us that 11 of the 12 disciples died martyrs' deaths for their faith. And that prophecy came true as well. Verse 10, and the gospel must first be preached to all nations, before Jesus returns. Some people say, well, maybe not everybody's heard that yet. I believe this is a direct uh, reference to Revelation chapter 14. We learned this, that, that just before the second coming of Christ, he will send an angel throughout the entire world proclaiming the gospel. Some of you remember that. Verse 11, but when they arrest you and deliver you up, don't worry beforehand or premeditate what you're going to say or speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that, for this is not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. Again, he's talking specifically to the disciples here. And when they were brought before the councils for their faith, the Holy Spirit gave them the words to say. But this is practical to us because if you ever had an opportunity to witness to somebody and share your faith and you said things and you quoted verses that you were like, I had no idea I even knew that. And God gave that to you. 
And I think that's practical for us. Verse 12, now brother will betray brother to death. This is leading up to the second coming of Christ. Now brother will betray brother to death. A father is child. Children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You say, well, when's that going to happen? During the tribulation period, those that do not take the mark of the beast, they will be turning on friends, turning on family. We read about that in Revelation. Then verse 13, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. What is Jesus saying here? Verse 9 through 13, he's saying, don't be discouraged. Whatever you go through to stand up as a Christian, to share your faith, to proclaim your faith, don't be discouraged. Whatever you're going through, don't let the enemy beat you up, get you down, knock you off course. Hang in there. Don't give up. I'm coming back. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make all things right. Can we have an amen to that? That's what Jesus is saying. Whatever you go through, don't be discouraged. Verse 13, he says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. I do not believe that that is teaching that we must work for our salvation because there's so many other places in the Bible that tell us we can only be saved by grace through faith. But I believe this is a reference to those during the tribulation period who will show their faith by enduring and not taking the mark of the beast. We don't have time to get into all that. But uh, I believe the end he's talking about here is the end of the world just before the second coming of Christ. But during the tribulation, they'll prove their faith. But you know, the same is true today. We don't gain our faith by our works, but we certainly let people know we have our faith by our works. Faith works. We don't work for faith, but faith works. That's what James said in James 1.17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. You're fooling yourself. If you really think you have genuine saving faith and you don't have anything to show for it, he says that's not real faith. But someone, James says, but someone will say, you have faith, I got works. James says, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. That's how we should live as Christians. We should show our faith by our works. And Jesus tells his disciples and and his disciples everywhere, including us 2,000 years later today, they're going to go through difficulties. Anyone that tells you, come to Christ, accept Christ, and life's going to be perfect and great is lying. That's not true. The Bible says something completely different. And we go through sometimes tribulations and persecutions in our life for being a Christian. But Jesus says, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Hang in there. Now listen, this is harder for us as American Christians to understand. Because we have so much faith freedom in America. That we should not take for granted, amen? And I don't know, that, I don't know how long we're going to have it. I hope we have it until the rapture, but I don't know. In the U.S., we have incredible freedoms with our Christianity. I mean, look at us, church. We're meeting in a public high school. Praise God for that. But you know what? That could change someday. But it's not that way in most of the world, in a lot of the world. There is intense, real genuine today persecution as bad as it was in jesus time for some christians in places like sudan and pakistan you can be killed for naming the name of christ for being a christian you could you will be disowned by your family you will lose your job you'll lose your house and you might even lose your life a recent study said that 28 countries in the world today persecute christians David Barrett wrote a book called Today's Martyrs. He said 165,000 martyrs die each year today for their Christian faith. He said he believes 43 million Christians have died in the last 2,000 years. And thank God for the freedoms we have here. 
that we don't experience that kind of persecution. But a Bible teacher one time was teaching on this subject and said something I'll never forget. And he said this, you may not die the death of a martyr, but you and I can live the life of a martyr. That's some strong words. We may not be asked to die the death of a martyr, but we can live the life of a martyr. That we are so committed and faithful to Christ that we will not let anything discourage us and knock us off track and cause us to, to step away for a moment from our faith. Don't be discouraged. Listen, church, here's what we're closing with. Jesus is saying, I'm coming back. It's gonna be okay. Hang in there. Don't be discouraged. Now, here's how this works in our life today. The enemy, and we have an enemy, Satan, our adversary, the devil, he goes around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour, looking for the weak that he can pick off and he can chew up and he can throw by the wayside. And Jesus says, listen, hang in there. Don't be discouraged. The enemy knows. Have you, have you learned this? He knows what buttons to push in our lives to really discourage us, doesn't he? He knows right where to hit us. He knows what button to push. For many of you, you may feel today that you have an uncertain future. That's what the disciples, they had an uncertain future. And Jesus was saying, hang in there, don't be discouraged. It's going to be okay. Even though you're going to die for your faith, it's going to be okay. I'm going to take care of you. I'm coming back. Your, your, your future may be uncertain with your finances. Your future may be uncertain with your health. Your future may be uncertain with your relationships, your marriage, your kids, your house, your job. Satan would love to use those things to push your buttons and get you discouraged. But Jesus says here, endure till the end. Whatever that end means for you. Whether it's you drawing your last breath or you being raptured out of here. If you're a Christian, it's one of those two. Endure to the end. Hang in there. I'm coming back, Jesus says. Listen, nobody talks about this anymore. But we're going to. Because I believe we are closer to it than we have ever been. Don't be deceived. Don't be discouraged. Jesus says, you will see me soon. Our God will come. If you believe that, say yes. Now next week, in our series Back to the Future, we're going to see the sign of the second coming. What you're going to see next week is going to blow some of you all away. That you can count down to the very day of the literal return of Christ. Now, we don't know when this event of these sign is going to happen, but once it does, the Bible is very specific. You guys going to be here next week? Okay, can I get a show of hands? I would like a commitment, all right? Okay. Can we get a count, please, real quick? Let's close in prayer today.